Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 20 for the week of June 18th, 2018. I'm actual, actual, actual vampire Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by BIM Hour enthusiast Mike McComb. Yes, hi, I have questions. Oh, we'll try and answer this. And our special guest, Josh Hayner. Yeah, if you uh, happen to hear any singing, don't worry, I'm just uh, broadcasting from my hippie comment today. No worries, we get it, you don't enjoy television. We are a bunch of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest generally, uh, but this week we will be talking about the Eurovision-adjacent 1980 cinematic classic, The Apple, and try to make sense of that. So, <laughs> it was a movie. Yes. Sure? Uh. <laughs> Mike, Mike, you seem to have doubts about that, but like, it, it's 90 minutes, it's definitely his feature length, it definitely was in cinemas. It's a masterpiece of world building and set design. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's when you when when you go to your friend's improv show and you're like, the set was great and everyone had shirts on. Except in this movie, like almost nobody had a shirt on a lot of the time. But um, well, first let let's say yeah, hi to let, Josh. Let, yeah. yeah, let's go say hi to Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello, guys. You're not normally here. I'm not. I'm not. Welcome to the program. Thanks for uh, having thanks me. Thanks for joining me and helping to explain to Mike why this movie is so wonderful. It really shouldn't be that hard. I mean, this is only going to be, what, two minutes long? And then he's going to say, of course, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a very short episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our Eurovision-themed program, to t- where we're talking about a movie. How were you introduced to Eurovision, Josh? Actually, through Mike. I went to his place, what was it, two years ago, maybe? Yep. Three, yeah, two years ago. The first time I had heard, of course the amazing rumors and seen some random wackiness on youtube but never really watched any finals and uh um yeah i went to mike's place and had a blast and actually this year spent it at a local bar that was showing the entire entire finals and was able to follow along much better and it's it's a it's really fun really fun it is a great capper to spring um, but how did you get introduced to the Apple? Because I know I found it after reading about it on websites mm-hmm. in like the early 2000s and then getting it off of Amazon for 99 cents. But wh- how did you find this movie? Well, I hang in weird crowds that that hunt out bad movies. Um, I've got some friends that here in Chicago at Northwestern University, every year they do a thing called B-Fest, where they basically lock people in an auditorium for, you know, 12 to 15 hours maybe even more um and they just inundate them with horrible movies and commercials and um so i had friends who had seen this i think they did it maybe seven or eight years ago and just like i like to do with people is this is one of those movies where it's great to watch other people watch it for the first time you know you just like you're having a fun time and then you turn around and just watch what your friend's doing and especially towards the end it just it's almost as fun to watch somebody else watching it the first time as it is to actually watch the screen. So, Ben, why why did you force us to watch this movie? Force. Uh, <laughs> first so, of all, so, sorry, Mike, am, I, am, I, am I tipping my hand a little bit? Or no? uh, well, first of all, Mike, it is very relevant to our program that we produce on a biweekly basis. Mm. In that, it is it feels very Eurovision adjacent. A lot of the plot takes place at a song competition and the immediate aftermath. But in addition to that, like, A, uh, we had sort of talked about, we talked about, like, how we got into Eurovision on this show. And this was sort of my entry point in that I watched this movie and I really enjoyed it. And I was reading the Wikipedia description back in the late 2000s and was like, oh, there's like an actual thing that this is based on. Happened to be May, happened to catch the tail end of the final. What, then went back and watched the entire thing. I was like, this is super cool. I'm going to keep watching this. 
Uh, but more importantly, uh, it was my birthday, uh, and I demanded it. And also, uh, the <laughs> local theater near me, which is doing a summer midnight series amongst like actual interesting movies to watch at midnight, is show is like every so often showing something like this. And it turned out this was because uh, the manager of my local theater also really likes this movie and also has a birthday around this weekend, <laughs> uh, which was a really fun fact. Like the the half hour before the movie is you had like the five to ten obsessives mm-hmm. just sort of like quoting facts at each other. Uh, and then like the people who had clearly been like dragged by a friend looking around really confusedly was was great. Somebody was just like expounding on like Golan Globus and cinema. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful. Someone was passing out BIM marks, <laughs> which are like the essentially the mark of the beast in the movie. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just a real fun time. A couple weeks from now, they are showing another uh, disco musical classic, Xanadu. Yeah. Now that one I can get behind. So. <laughs> oh my god, that's so I, I, I like both of them because both of them feel like they're trying real hard, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of pieces that just don't quite fit together in the in the whole mm-hmm. that's why we're discussing this movie is because i love it and it feels very eurovision adjacent and it's just a real good time okay so i don't know if i'm the best person to try to describe like what the actual plot of this movie is. well like what this movie is about uh because i i've watched it twice in the last week and i'm still not sure what it is about so maybe Josh, I'm going to give this an attempt, and feel free to jump in if I'm missing right. important, crucial plot points, which this movie has many of. Oh, very much. So many twists and turns. Yeah. So first, let's set the stage. This movie was made in probably like 1979, 1980. It's set off in the far-off future of 1994. In that time span, two major things have occurred. One, disco has not died. Two, uh, Eurovision has gone global. It's now the World Vision Song Contest. We start out with cutting sort of in media res to the contest where Boogaloo International Mu- Music's act is performing its song bim what does bim stand for excellent question moving on <laughs> uh after that's done uh, we we get introduced to uh mr boogalow who runs boogalow international music and his cohorts watching from behind the scenes as the song does great as everybody loves it the next act in the competition is some randos from moose jaw canada uh who have a an old-fashioned love song called love the universal melody uh which they're like, ah, it'll never, it'll never surpass our song. It immediately surpasses their song. Nostalgia. And so they sabotage the entry so that the BIM wins. Don't worry, we're quickly whisked to the the after party where, in addition to BIM having been named sort of the National Fitness Hour song, there's now all sorts of BIM merchandise, including really, really impractical tumblers, pinball machines, and stickers you can put on your face because that's where you put stickers. So Alfie and BB go to this party and are immediately separated. BB gets offered, like, drugs by, like, the lead guy from the BIM song. Not Roger Daltrey. Stuff happens. They leave. The next day, they meet at Boogaloo's music company and get offered contracts. Uh, Alfie is, like, the the pure-hearted... I don't know. How would you put it, Josh? What is Alfie? Um, he's, 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 like, secretly Scottish. No, no. Yeah, he's... The the moose knuckle from Moose Jaw. I don't know. Um. Yeah, the moose knuckle from Moose Jaw uh, just has like a has like a real trippy vision that feels very like feels like a very cut down version of Paradise Lost, yeah. where like he and BB are being tempted by Satan himself. The movie, in, in its subtlety, has the contracts represented by a very large apple. But yeah, so Alfie has this vision and is just like I'm not signing my I'm not signing my life away. I'm not signing my soul away. Uh, you can keep your contract. Uh, BB is quickly swayed by by Boogaloo and his cohorts and becomes the next music sensation. 
So Alfie's heartbroken and is trying to make a living as a as a musician and not quite cutting the mustard because he wants to just keep writing treacly love songs. Uh, BB, meanwhile, is like touring the North American coast, the song about drugs, <laughs> uh, and has just gone like full Fergie. <laughs> yeah, totally. Basically, like like totally. at the end of the makeover sequence, because of course this movie has a makeover sequence. She basically looks like Fergie in like a prayer shawl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's doing that. Eventually, like Alfie goes to like one of her shows where she's performing the National Bim Hour song. She really misses him, but he gets the crap kicked out of him by Boogalow's henchmen. Uh, there's like a very sad like split screen musical number about how they miss one another and they've made terrible mistakes. Alfie's landlady, who is has like a weird relationship with yeah. him, where she like is just happily traipses into his apartment at all hours. It's like, get your stuff together, go to go find her and tell her you love her. Uh, so he goes back to Boogalow's place where there is like a full rager slash orgy going on. Boogalow's other uh, lady musician, Pandy, comes in and like slips something in his drink and like has her way with him. But he's, like, still calling out BB's name the entire time. And, like, this is the scene that anytime I watch this movie in, like, a semi-public space, someone walks in during that song and is like, what the hell are you watching? Which, given the production design, very fair. Uh, There's, like, an entire musical number where, like, part of it is just people doing interpretive dance sex on beds. Yeah, and that's in the trailer. And that's in the trailer. Like, that was a selling point of the movie. In fairness, it was 1980. Alfie is, like, stumbling around trying to find Bibi and finds her in bed with Dandy. And is like, oh, no. And then, like, has a blackout and wakes up in the park where some hippies have found him. And then he goes and lives with the hippies. Back at the ranch, Pandy helps Bibi escape in a sequence that feels very quickly cut together. And all of a sudden, she's at the hippie commune, too. And then Alfie takes Bibi's bim mark off of her. And then they kiss. And then all of a sudden, see you later. And they have a baby that's like two years old for some reason. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they they hear uh, a bunch of noise. And like the police come. And it's Mr. Boogalow and company come to get Bibi back. Because she still has a bunch of money and years on her contract. And then out of nowhere, someone goes, no, don't worry. Mr. Tops is coming. At which point, the person singing in front of me in the theater went, who? <laughs> which, and again, which, fair. Like, the movie has told us nothing about this person who's coming. Uh, and then, just to spoil the ending, because like, this really doesn't spoil the ending. No. Uh, Mr. Tops uh, comes down from the sky in his space Cadillac and talks with people and then takes all the hippies away and tells Mr. Boogalow that he's getting far away from him where he can't do his business. Because, surprise, it's been a biblical allegory the entire time. Uh, Mr. Tops is God. Mr. Boogalow is Satan. And everything is very confusing, and the movie is over. Uh, did I miss anything? That sounds like it. I love how it's not just a simple plot synopsis. Like, you can't explain the plot of this movie. You just have to say the movie, you know? Yeah, you have, yeah like, there, there is, like, there's, like, not a good place to, like, fast forward or skip no. forward. Because there are, there are details that matter, even though in the movie they don't matter at all. Right, exactly. Mike, how, Mike, what was your experience with this film? <laughs> I, yeah, I, <laughs> Mike is a series of noises. Right yes. Now. Yeah, I mean it, it's real. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I I saw the movie twice in the last week, and everything that you have said happened. <laughs> but why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like none of it seems connected in any way, shape, or form. Like. I don't know who who the hero of the story is. Are we supposed to be rooting for Alfie? Because, like, 
as you said, he's the moose knuckle from Moose Jaw, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like he is the absolute worst. Uh, yeah. in the movie, he's so uh, yeah, no, no, he is. Yeah, he's not that great of a hero. Yeah, uh, and uh, also like George Gilmore, bless his heart, cannot act. No, Ooh. no. And like, what makes me like of all the people that were in this movie, it makes me the saddest that like he did this, and then there's just like nothing. He disappeared off yep. the face of the earth. Yep. I did try to Google him to find that, and the first hit that came up was a chancellor for some college in Canada, and I was just like, "Oh wow, that that's surprising." It was a totally different guy, but oh, no. <laughs> it's just like, "Oh, it was definitely within the realm of possibilities." Like, yeah, oh, he left acting to like pursue his academic dreams and <laughs> like more power dream. to him. Yeah, yeah, I love the yeah the woman who played Pandy went on. I mean, she was a huge superstar in England. She had her own TV oh. show for some years. And then, yeah, Mary Catherine Stewart went on to be, you know, into some great B movies later on. But yeah, poor Alfie. Nope. Yeah, and and even like Dandy like rolled up, like popped up on an episode of like the British Hell's Kitchen. No way. As like a restaurant owner. Really. And like it was mentioned that like he was in this movie. Get out. Oh wow. I, I I don't even know where to begin with like trying to process this. Yeah, but... well, this is a this is a Eurovision theme podcast. We should talk about the World of Vision Song Contest and how it differs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that, that I think that's probably why I had such a difficult time after that <laughs> sequence, just because like I'm still trying to puzzle through how the World Vision Song Contest works. And granted, like Eurovision can be very. Uh, complicated particularly when it gets into like the scoring mechanisms and uh just like how how the actual contest functions but i'm still trying to wrap my mind around it like just watching the numbers just constantly move and like then Mm -hmm. tiles move and numbers go up and you don't but they didn't talk about those countries and yeah well yeah they didn't talk about the countries and like suddenly austria is winning and you're like but i should have put i didn't put down money i should put down money on austria (laughs) because it was 300 to (laughs) one yeah yeah yeah, so what I could gather from what the movie presented, not that the movie was going to get into like the huge process of this fictional thing, but... Yeah, it does so much world building, yet so little here in terms of defining yeah. what are the explicit rules of how this works. Yeah, it looks like it's like giant concert type setup. They don't have the people restriction that Eurovision has, like Eurovision limits you to six people on stage. The, and the, like the, the BIM number has like 40 people. Yeah, like it, it is like a huge production number. And... and like, if that were to happen at Eurovision, it'd be pretty cool. And, like, the audience is super into it and everything. But then, like, BB and Alfie come out for uh, their song. And it's just the two of them on stage. And there is one audience member who, like, after after the excitement of the, that one entry, is just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and it's just like, you know, that's kind of what happened with Georgia this year. Like... <laughs> Like, when Georgia was on stage, like, everybody was just treating it like a break and was talking. And I'm, like, watching Georgia. And it's like, the lead singer looks like he's getting really, really angry. Is he going to start yelling at us? Like, it was it was oh, a wow. very uncomfortable performance to watch. But And, like, watching it back on TV, like, you don't hear any of the crowd not paying attention to them <laughs> at all. Like, that was completely masked. But You don't hear the red tape playing over the speakers, ruining everyone's buzz. Right, right. You, uh, you, you don't have any of that um but then like the scoring mechanism for like world vision seems to be some sort of combination of 
engagement points and like heart measurement and it really kind of reminds me of like how my gym works like the gym that i go to <laughs> like you wear like a heart rate monitor and like you're doing your exercises and as long as your heart rate is above a certain percentage for every minute you get a point and the goal is to get 12 points by the end of your workout yeah so it was like oh this movie's kind of predicting orange theory but <laughs> all right so i i think that's kind of practical so it's like oh that's kind of cool but uh but then it's just who's running this contest mm -hmm. like is it the label yeah or what? yeah so i don't know one thing i found very comforting and very grounding in this is, is that even though it's now the world of vision song contest it's still just everybody's using a pre-recorded track mm -hmm. <laughs> because like alfie is just holding the guitar and all of a sudden there's like orchestral swells mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, although it also seems like there's not a time limit to the songs because it's a, I think it's probably the most Eurovision-y song mm -hmm. of the entire soundtrack, but it seems to go on for like seven and a half minutes. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> really cut this down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, like the BIM song gets like a full seven minutes mm -hmm. where it's just like, okay, you guys could cut out like one of the repetitions of the verse. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of repetition and there's even like, they're kind of like, when you know, BB and Alfie are like vamping their tune while they're just like off mic talking about why everybody's yelling at them. But yeah, it they just go on a long, long time. Yeah. And I also like it during that number how like the audience is really against them at first and then they yeah. kind of fall in love with it. And like they're, they're like their heartbeats are going up so high, which it makes no sense because it's not like it's a fast track or anything. <laughs> yeah, like, like there's... Like, I've always wondered about the tra trajectory of the audience. For that because like bb and alfie get up there start singing the people are immediately booing them except the one girl who's like crying and telling her boyfriend to shut up and then like mm -hmm. suddenly out of the blue they just turn the corner and you see the the guys in the audience are still kind of like uh, but then they like start liking it and, and then it, i get I, you know i get the heart the kind of red noise tape thing you know, messing things up. But yeah, what makes them like it in the first place? Where does it... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just one of those, like, the mysteries of pop music, which I can I can sort of get behind if the movie were willing to explore any of that. Lulu actually makes a very, very good point in this movie about, about nostalgia as a powerful force. Mm -hmm. mm. Which we totally see that, yeah. Yeah, but in, in that it, that can shape it. But also, like, how is their heart rate rising to one fifty one beats per minute at a, during a very slow yes. track compared to the previous one? Yeah, they're not dancing; yeah, how, they're all how sitting does this down. Work? Yeah, they're yeah, they're, they're all sitting down. They're at rest. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the prize for this is to be the official song of the national, and they never specify where this is taking place. The national exercise program. So. I don't know about you. I can't really jog to a treacly ballad. <laughs> so it's like, why Why is this song in this contest? Who is I mean, running I, this contest? Because I think it's Bim that is running this contest. So it's like, wait, so it's rigged from the job. I, I, yeah, I <laughs> process nerd is not happy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's very nice though that like the prize is that you're going to be the national exercise program because so many of the entries do end up on my workout playlist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is the contest. Let's talk about the design for this movie because even there are many things about this movie that don't add up or don't work often. But like one of the things that I love about this movie and that keeps me watching it and that keeps me engaged over the the many many plays is the the maximalist aesthetic going on like 
this is a widescreen movie and like every part of the frame is mm-hmm. full of stuff. Mm-hmm. More is definitely more with this. More is more, <laughs> yeah. And they are trying to like they are really trying to hit you over the head with the future. Mm-hmm. Mr. Boogalow's beard is bedazzled at a couple uh, of points in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's just no, like like things are going to be twinkling no matter what. So. Vlad, yeah, Vladek Shaval is still probably picking glitter out of his beard if he's still alive today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely beard ambition for me on this one. Yeah, it's great. It's just like well shaped and yeah, bedazzled and glittery and there's like so much silver and gold lame going on. Like that the the first party sequence in the movie where just like everybody is dressed in their ridiculous best, celebrating the BIM. The BIM marks are all like super glittery. Like everybody's just covered in makeup. Yeah, when they go to the one of the bigger numbers in the movie is the like ballet two thousand sequence, and yeah. it's just like it's a giant circus that's taking place in an airport hangar. So <laughs> it's yeah, the music yeah. department. Not the airport hangar, music department. Yeah, like it's well, yeah, but like the a large part of this movie is filmed in what is either an airplane hangar or like a convention yep. center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of refreshing that they don't really try to hide that. It's just like here's this big cavernous space and some people in it. And they even if I've just seen this enough that I can notice that they've recorded the sound live when they were filming it because when these songs are being sung, like the ballet two thousand sequence you can hear the echo and like the, the sound of a huge open room. It's not, it's not 80 yard in or anything like they filmed it and, and shot the sound right there. So it's this really weird experience of this cavernous sound. Just like Lee Miz. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they just hammer home that this is the future. And there's like the sequence where Alfie is going from his bad apartment to the recording studio to, to sell this song where you get like the full scope of the world in 1994 where there there is plastic everything mm-hmm. and everything is a triangle and metal and like everybody takes the airport tram to work <laughs> <laughs> and all the i noticed all the um like the vending machines are like bim vending machines too you know if you notice that like when they're waiting for the airport tram there at the station it's like bim cola and bim burritos or something like that <laughs> At the start of the movie, when they're like pre-celebrating the song winning the competition, Ashley, one of Boogalow's syncophants, is like taxed with merchandise. It's like, how about t-shirts? Bim t-shirts. Ashley, don't be sick. <laughs> how gauche. But yeah, like everything is Bim very slowly over the course of the movie. Yeah, I love they get on him about having wanting t-shirts. <laughs> Who would ever want that? national bim hour just giving getting that slice of life of of 1994 where everybody takes part in the national exercise hour and like gets out of their car and stops on the side of the road or like when they're in the salon or at a restaurant or in the gym and you know that those people are the worst because they're they they scheduled that class or they're being smart they know that they have to exercise during National BIM Hour because that, that's what it is. At four o'clock, everybody has to exercise for an hour, which is just basically like moving your arms to the uh, BIM's on the way song and yeah. <laughs> having to listen to that one line. You're not even given the benefit of the full BIM song. You listen to the chorus. Yes. Yeah.
they're doing the exact same moves for an hour like the same hand punching unless you're the fireman and then you've got this whole choreography you've got to do yeah the, yeah the firemen have a have a clear choreography uh the nuns of nuns have their own yes. choreography nuns wearing heels i might know <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's 1994 awesome. mike styles have changed i guess but uh. um and then like really the, the only one i question is like why would you schedule surgery during national bim hour you know what you're getting into i get it Healthcare is kind of a nightmare well, but also it does take a that, while for that, anesthesia to kick in. So I think that's what it is, is they know, like, you know, they get them anesthetized there, and let them go. So he's got something to do while they wait. You know, it make, it just makes oh, a lot of sense, does. you know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does pass out uh, during the sequence, and I just assume that he died. Yeah, like I just, yeah, like I just assumed for years that that, that that man has died due to a poor decision or scheduling. Issue. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense than anesthesia. But yeah, no, it makes more sense that. that, that... Well, good. I'm. I, I like that this movie is now a little less morbid. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, it's a dystopian future, but it's a fun one. Oh, yeah. Is it a dystopian future? Like, I didn't see anything really wrong with it. And I think that's probably where my biggest concern with the movie is, because it seems like the resolution is whatever the hippie planet is, is just like kind of boring. <laughs> I, it, well, it, like, yeah. The thing I was. OK, so this is this is just me nerding out on this movie for even more time than I've already done so far during this, during our recording session today. But like one thing that I was really hoping about when they, when they gave this a Blu-ray release last year, which this movie exists on Blu-ray y'all. Wow. Back when IMDB had message boards, somebody had posted that they had gone to a screening of this and they apparently know their theater very well because like they had tried to book the Apple and it turns out that somebody else had it booked, uh, but the distributor found another copy. Could they send that instead? And they did. And it was a screener copy and it still had a bunch of stuff that they cut and like particularly they said particularly the the ending so like the hippie commune scene is longer and there's like a full song there and like the ending is slightly different i want to know how the ending is different i don't expect it to make more sense if if it's at least connected to anything that else that happened to the movie because it's just like well, well yeah because like this is like literally a deus ex machina just coming down and like literally. all of a sudden something comes out of the catalog and there's this block of light that covers where the the hippie guy was standing, and all of a sudden he is Mr. Tops, which makes sense because it's the same actor. What I do appreciate about this movie is that it it not only just like ends suddenly, but it ends suddenly with rapture. And <laughs> I'm thinking of a lot of movies, like including like recent Best Picture nominees, where I would have probably liked the movie more if they just like ended it by being like, "All right, rapture, mm-hmm. come into my space Cadillac." Like it's. <laughs> So this is where I have always wanted, well, always since I've seen this, wanted to see if they had scraps of footage or I want to see the original version for the beginning because the beginning is they're supposed to have had stages and sets already built for um, a time where Mr. Boogalow and Mr. Tops, basically God and the Devil, were singing together and there were tigers and... It was basically Garden of Eden. Then Mr. Boogaloo is expelled from Eden, and then it cuts to 1994. Oh wow! Yeah, just making like the whole thing even more explicit. And then it would just, and then that would make the ending make a lot more sense because you've seen Mr. Tops, and you know even more specifically that he that he's a very thinly veiled metaphor for God, you know. But mm-hmm. but yeah, they apparently were 
you know, they were trying to film this intro sequence, but then a, like a tiger got loose and started like messing up the film equipment and it just went crazy. So they couldn't do it. There's little bits of things where you can tell that something is supposed to be there because yeah. either there are little bits of footage in the trailer for this movie. There are differences in the songs on the official soundtrack LP. And it's, I, I don't necessarily want to see them because they'll help make the movie make sense. I want them because the movie will not make any more sense than it already does. It'll just be more. It'll be more fun. More. It does such a wonderful job of world building. And then there's just so much other stuff that doesn't quite work. So what was the reception of this movie like in 1980? So one of the fun facts that is on IMDb, uh, when this movie was released in 1980, as people were going to the premiere, they were given a copy of the soundtrack as a souvenir for going to the premiere. During the film, they started hurling them at the screen, causing extensive damage. Oh, jeez. Yep. And now you can get, you can still find LP soundtracks of this movie on like Amazon and your Ebays and your third party markets and your Discogs. So it's like a fun little piece of memorabilia. It might have been hurled at the screen, but it, didn't, but it didn't break the LP, and that's what matters, because I can play it on the record. And how how is the soundtrack? Because, I mean, like, the, just because the songs are in the movie, like, they sometimes mm-hmm. do get cut up in, in sort of ways. Like, is it a decent soundtrack, at least? I Like, uh, the soundtrack is one of the things I kind of like about yeah. the movie, is that, like, they're... They're trying real hard, and like some of the songs succeed. Absolutely, yeah. They're. I think some of them are very well written, and then the singers themselves. Um, you know, Pandy. She's got a great voice, and she's really emotive with it too. Like the two songs she's on, um, you could really tell significant differences in her voice where she's acting the roles out. You know, mm-hmm. the music itself is. I think is a lot, a lot of fun. The other George Clinton wrote. Pretty much all the music this is actually George S. Clinton, who <laughs> yes. who who did a lot of music for Canon films, but then also um, has done lots and lots. Of, his IMDb page is just really extensive, and he's he's done movies you have seen. He's done the music for them, so it's really good pedigree for the songwriter. The thing that I learned uh, through through Josh from this that like blew my mind. Like, one of my favorite songs to single out from the movie, and again, it's the one that everybody, like, walks in on is, like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) The CD disco number called Coming that is basically a single entendre. And that is is generous. It even, like, qualifies as single. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because the lyrics are... Yeah, like it's clearly about genitals. And the movie makes this explicit with the choreography because sex is happening. But anyways, like and it's just like your ge- it's it's like a very generic kind of late 70s disco number. Uh and then it turns out it might just be Donna Summers wasted with a new melody written yeah. on the top.
Donna Summer's Wasted has a little bit more strings throughout, but I was able to piece together like it's the actual if you like listening closely, like the baseline to Donna Summer's song is definitely brought to the forefront for coming for you. And it's just yeah, there's little bits and pieces here and there. But yeah, you listen to one, then listen to the other, and you're like, oh yeah, no, this is it. Like this is wholesale lifted and like this is a weird comparison to make because none of you have heard this this song but uh my local bad movie night trash night uh did like one of their weird cut up compilations to this song by an artist called yvonne gage called doing it in a haunted house uh that is basically a song written over the top of the instrumental from michael jackson's thriller oh okay basically just a different song written over the top of Thriller, and like that's what this sounds like to me now, is that this is just another song written over the top of Donna Summer's Wasted. <laughs> that's, that's so funny that this is like the third time that, that situation has come up in in the course of this podcast. <laughs> 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 just from the previous Eurovision entries this year, like San Marino and Italy, just being like... I know there's only 88 keys on a piano, but still. <laughs> 1980 is not a great year for disco in general. Uh, the the bubble burst. I mean, we had the disco demolition in in like July 1979. Probably while this movie was getting made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but by the time Hollywood has caught on to this whole crazy disco thing that the kids are doing, they have already put into production "Can't Stop the Music," which is the true story of the Village People, oh. except that they, conveni- they conveniently leave out the part where the Village People are gay. Well, oh, no, well, there's a mention they, of that. They, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, I, I've, I, in, in my watching the movies, the movie just really plays up. But they're, they're friends. Well, they could be friends. Like, they, there's nothing that says, that, like, just because they're gay that they're, like, in a relationship. No, I, I just listened to the How Did This Get Made about oh, Can't Stop the Music. And it's just, like, it really is a transgressive film. And I kind of need to watch it sh- again. It, just it, like, it, yeah, lot, like, it, yeah. it's not great. And, like, but, but it's just, like, yeah, it's just these five guys and their friend, Valerie Perrin. <laughs> well no it's it's just the thing about it is it's a blast it's a lot of fun but it's it's like mildly offensive in the way that only cocaine adult movies of the late 70s could yes like there are definitely lines and scenarios in that you're like oh wow you know it's yeah but it is a lot of fun that one is a lot of fun uh xanadu came out in august of that year and like that one also did not have a great time despite having both olivia newton john and ELO and Gene oh, Kelly. That makes, that's mm-hmm. just, watching Gene Kelly in that just makes me sad. I'm like, I just need to like, I need to uh, t- take a bath with singing in the rain after watching that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the, that was his last film. Yeah. Although there is that that like really lovely number where he and Olivia are oh yeah together, yeah. but but yeah, like as a whole, it's not a great movie, but it's still enjoyable. Absolutely. Like it, it's. It is a tough double feature with Can't Stop the Music. I did do oh, that once, and it's like, oh, that's just a... Yeah, it's just a lot for one day. <laughs> I paired the Apple and Can't Stop the Music, and those seemed to yes, work well together. very much. I could see that. The Apple came out in November of 1980, at which point, like, everybody was just very done with disco. But yeah, so, like, that kind of explains what happened with this movie, and maybe why it didn't fare so well, just in addition to... <laughs> just vaguely gesturing at the entirety of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just like wait, just like pick, just like waving my arm into the air at the film. Yeah, so I thought it would be kind of interesting to see like what happened at Eurovision 1994, just to kind of compare, compare and contrast with uh, what what this movie predicted would happen at the Eurovision is mm-hmm. 
Well, and, and to also just bring our Eurovision podcast back onto the rails. <laughs> yeah. So in 94, uh, Ireland was hosting. Uh, this is their second time in a row hosting because they won twice. And they ended up winning a third time uh, with the song Rock and Roll Kids. We were the rock and roll kids. Rock and roll was all we did. And listening to those songs on the radio. I was yours and you were mine That was once upon a time Now we never seem to rock and roll anymore Listening to it is kind of of a piece with the song that Alfie and BB had at World Vision, so... That's kind of funny, I think. <laughs> yeah. Way, way like, to go, oh. Earth. You you lined up with this terrible movie that nobody watched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the main thing that people will probably remember from nine, from the 94 contest is that was the debut of Riverdance. The debut of the BIM Irish Dancing Hour. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and Ireland won three times in a row. That is, that is bonkers. Yeah, they won three times in a row. Uh, then Norway won, and then Ireland won again. So I guess that would have been 96. And and the funny thing about that one, there, there's this Father Ted episode uh, about Eurovision <laughs> yes. that, that we'll probably talk about in a future podcast. And uh, that episode came out in 96. So it's just like <laughs> Ireland really dominated in the 90s. So I don't know. Should we just assume that this movie took place in Ireland? It feels, like a, it feels like a safe assumption just because like it would explain like Alfie's weird like half Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah. Despite him being Canadian, just general accent of some sort from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I again vaguely gesturing at the yeah. Board, yeah. So. Again, he's try- <laughs> yeah. Like just so many people in that movie are trying their best. I was going to ask you all, as the Eurovision experts here, I'm still a newbie on it. Which of these songs in the soundtrack do you think would have the best shot of winning, and which would you like to see? as the best product which do you think would give the best production oh i think which one would i want to to win a future eurovision uh i'm gonna have to go with coming (laughs) just just it it, just it's it is just so explicit in its intentions That, that was pretty much what space was uh, in 2017. That's what that's what he needed to do with that number. He needed to just have a bunch of people on beds in the background because it was just him. He had five other people. <laughs> if Donna Summer were still with us, like if she could have just like tagged along. And yeah. Just, <laughs> oh man, I would love to. Hmm. Mm. Let's see which would have the best production value. I feel like like that the Apple number could be a real good interval act. Like the internet would love that. Mm-hmm. The Apple number is very Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Like, possibly borrowing a lot of the choreography from it uh, <laughs> the things i love about that number though is like there's some really good makeup work going on there like there's a guy with two faces and it's so great yeah it, it looks like it could be like cgi but it's just like no it's just like practical like makeup practical and it effects. works it works great yeah and then just the the way that the choreographer is just like well the lyrics do say actual 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 vampire so they just have them pop up yep yep <laughs> i'm here here i am <laughs> yeah of the songs on the soundtrack, BB and Alfie's song really did feel like a solid entry mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. possibly something that may have been submitted at one point. Like, <laughs> it's just like, just like, didn't Finland do this like 10 years ago? But... You're speaking, of course, of, of Love the Universal Melody. Yeah. You're the reason that I'm singing. It's you 
Yeah, and like that also just feels very like that feels point. that feels so your vision. Yeah, but I think I think the one that would be like the most interesting performance would be uh, Speed. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just because the staging, uh, BB had kind of like the Sarah Alto haircut going on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you could basically lift the entire sequence from the movie and stage that, like present that on stage, and it would be it would walk away with the best production number without a doubt. Yeah. Although I do have uh, in my notes the very first song, the the. The is BIM? it just called BIM? It's just yeah. called BIM. Like that's okay. its actual listing on side yeah. one of the record. Okay. Yeah. Like my my first notes uh, on, <laughs> on my many pages of notes uh, is Albania question mark Lithuania question <laughs> mark Like it, it feels like something that they that one of those countries would submit mm-hmm. and I don't know could qualify. Kind of depends on the rest of the field, I guess. <laughs> Let's see. An- another one I would like to pitch as like a potential entry just as a duet, uh Cry for Me. Ah, I love that song. Is that the one where he, uh, he's walking home in the rain? Yeah, yeah. that's the one like, in the rain. Loses like three liters of blood from his nose. Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just got whooped by the bodyguards. Yes. Yeah. And like in rewatching this one and having recently watched at Trash Night the another terrible musical that I cannot shoehorn into this program because it's not Eurovision-y enough, Rockula. Uh, Rockula also, also has a walking in the rain number that's a duet. And Dandy is in that. What? Yeah, I don't because I just in doing research for this, I just like trying to find out where are they now type of thing, and I saw Dandy, yeah, Dandy the the male. I, that's one of his credits in is Rockula, and I've never heard of that movie, and so I am eagerly awaiting watching that one. That one just got a just got a Blu-ray release Ooh, recently in the last couple months, uh, and it's also I think still on Amazon Prime oh, streaming. Sweet. So treat yourself to that. <laughs> Josh, what entries would you want to see on the Eurovision stage? I think I for the actual, like, a real deal entry, the song that Pandy and BB have a duet on when Pandy... I Found Me. I Found Me, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That she, the actress singing the, that song is like, you listen to that, you can hear... You know, she's changing her voice to like match the emotions and do that. And I think it's so. I think it's honestly a really strong song. And then, yeah, I'm, I I agree with Mike that you know, for sheer production value, speed would be would be really great to see. And the idea of coming for you, it just reminds me. I'm a big Prince fan, and his love sexy tour in 1986 mm-hmm. or seven ish, something like that, featured a couple rotating beds that people would be rolling around on and he would do a couple songs from as well so yeah that song feels like very early yes <laughs> like i want to be your lover uh-huh. soft and wet sort of a deal yeah the very nasty prince era stuff that's going to do it for this episode of the euro what you can find our previous episodes on our website at eurowhat.com or by subscribing through apple podcasts or the podcast app of your choice uh, when you add the subscription please rate and review us let other people know about how great this program is how we're doing and help other Eurovision fans and in this case terrible movie fans find <laughs> us uh, you can also find us on social media where we are at Eurowhat on Twitter Facebook and Instagram thank you for joining us Josh 
been a Thank pleasure. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thanks for inviting me. See you in a couple weeks.